Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. We are thrilled to have you. It's just us today. And we're going to have a really interesting conversation, as we always do when we give ourselves the space to do that. So well, today we're going to talk about like parents and treat recommended treatment. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say this kind of came out of a rant, right? It's just sort of, we've been kind of worked up. <laughs> the best about stuff does. The best stuff <laughs> does, right? It's like watching parents struggle, watching parents not get help when they need it, trying to talk to parents about, about getting help. I mean, it's just all this stuff that it we, you know, I feel like sometimes we feel like we're preaching to the choir and sometimes we feel like there's like nobody in the congregation. <laughs> I'll like, just say that. Hello, are you there? Hello out there. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Because, you know, I guess part of it is, look, we've been doing this a long time, right? Yeah. And we have our own kids we've been doing this with who are now young adults. And we've seen the, the benefit. We see the impact, right? We know from the thousands of people we work with what a difference it makes when we as parents start with us. When we, yeah. like, what do we always say? The change that you want for your kid starts with you. And yeah. that is, such we say a hard, that in like, we say that in every presentation we do lately. It's just, that's, that's, but it's so hard Change for parents to get their head around starts with you, but my kid is the one that's not doing well. It's my kid's the one with, with the diagnosis. Yeah, right. exactly. Not me, but that's the change you want starts with you. So why does the change they want start with them, Elaine? Okay. Well, let's look at it from a procedural perspective, from a process perspective for a minute, all right? Protocol. When you've got a kid with any kind of a complex issue like ADHD, attention issues, anxiety, depression, all of this other kind of autism, all this stuff that comes along with kids who are struggling with some area of executive function, basically. So even 2E kids, gifted kids. Often, especially, right? Yeah. So when you got kids who are struggling with executive function, and and the protocol we'll tell you about is from the realm of ADHD, but it really is applied applicable to any kid with executive function challenges, challenges. right? The recommended treatment for that kid is for the parent to get parent training and support and reinforcement in a community, right? So if the kid is up to age six or six and under, Actually, the number one recommended treatment for the child is for the parent to get training, parent behavioral modification training. Can we can we back up for a second? Because we use the word parent training, but the world uses the word behavior therapy. And they or no, actually, I was interviewing Carolyn uh, Parcells the other day. Behavior modification training, behavior modification therapy, behavior management training, behavior therapy, and they all mean the same thing. 
And the language we have is historical, right? It's just sort of in our world, a lot of times the language we use is language that was around 20 years ago that has never lost. Changed. It's never changed, right? And right. so this terminology that I see the most frequently is something called behavior therapy. But behavior therapy is not actually sending your kid off to work with a therapist, although we can do an episode on when that is appropriate and how that does help. That's really not what recommended treatment is when we're talking about executive function challenges. It is, Elaine, what you're you're describing, which is behavior training and behavior so, modification mo- training for parents. Well, so, and here's what's involved with that. Okay. So great set, great place to, to sort of slow down a little bit. What that means is a parent should receive a certain amount of training that provides tools that shifts expectations, that changes, helps them begin to set realistic expectations, that gives them some structures for how to create rewards and accountabilities and consequences appropriately. And that does it where they are able to to practice and get feedback from a professional and where they're able to do it in a community of their peers so that they can learn from their peers and understand what is and is not typical for their non-neurotypical kid, right? So when we talk about behavior training, it's not listening to a webinar or reading articles. It's really about getting specific tools and training and then doing it in an environment where you're able to reinforce it and learn it and practice Well, and I guess the thing that I would, so then the side effect of the fact that we know what that is and we know behavior training is and what the components are and what recommended treatment is, even providers, we we did some research a couple of summers ago and less than a third of parents with a kid with a diagnosis had the provider say, Hey parent, go get some training for you. Right. It was not even offered. (laughs) It wasn't even offered. Well, or, and there are a lot of good reasons why. Sometimes yes. they don't know where to send them. There's there's a lot of, you know, before COVID, people thought it had to be in person. You know, there's they don't understand. They think behavior therapy means put the kids in therapy. therapy there's a lot yeah. of reasons they don't do it. But across the board, less than 30% of parents are getting referrals to, to get support for themselves. Often they're getting information, right? They're getting websites, they're getting resources, and that's great. It's just what we've learned in, in this world is that information is not enough. Right. right. Well, and not only, and and I would say even the protocol that you just described of practice and things like that, even that is not enough. I mean, our behavior, we have a behavior yeah. training program for parents. It's called Sanity School. I, you guys ever hear us talk about it all the time. And it's a great starting point and it has all those components in it. And what we find over and over again is that's not enough. Parents it's still not help, enough, right? right? They need help <laughs> integrating it. They need help personalizing it. They need help making it more sustainable. That's why everything we do has a component of coaching to it because that's really what coaching does is help people make change in their life, which that's is what we're talking about is sustainable change. Parents making change in the environment so that the kids can change their behaviors. Because change takes time, y'all. <laughs> I mean, this is the truth. The change that you want for your kid, yes, it starts with you. And it's going to little take a little time. It took you however many years it took for you to get to where you are. And it's going to take some time to, to sort of turn the ship and turn things around and move it in the direction you want it to go. And that's just the, the reality of the situation. We're dealing with complex kids. And that makes things a little more complicated than, you know, that they're not just going to follow, follow in line just because we said so. 
Well, so go back to, I mean, I want to talk about a bunch of things. I want to talk about why parents aren't getting help. Even the 30% that do get recommended, they're resistant to getting help. That's true. We can talk about that, but go back to why this is so important for parents to be part of the process. Well, so should we finish the rec- what is recommended treatment first? Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back because we kind of derailed that a little bit. So let's just real quickly say ages six and under recommended treatment is parent training and support, like what we like Sandy School or you know other programs like that. Um, Incredible Years, a couple others. From six to 12, what's recommended is the like if you've got a kid specifically with ADHD, we're going to talk about for a second, it's recommended medication. But I would also say that with anxiety or depression, you would also probably medication. see medication as your first yeah. line. Um, and so it's a first line treatment plus parent training and support and a, a parent intervention. From 12 to 18, it's first line is medication, and then it's kind of optional parent training. I would say what we've learned, Diane, is from 12 to 34, probably more important than ever that parents be involved because it's how we communicate with our kids that sets the stage for them to be successful or not. And so even though it's, it's, it's part of recommended treatment and may not be first line for older kids, our experience has been that that makes a profound difference when the parent is able to change their paradigm and begin to parent in a, in a more supportive and empowering way. Would you agree? Well, yeah, I do. And I, I think that the I, I keep going back to the why, right? Because there's two parts to this. A lot of times parents think, okay, my kid has ADHD. I just need medication and that'll be yeah. it. But the reality is that this is a kid with an executive function challenge, challenge. deficit, whatever language you want to use. And there are, there's no medication in the existence of the planet that will fix that. I mean, it's not no medication is going to help that. your kid organize their backpack. No, it's not. I had a parent that I was talking to today and they had this aha that their 16 year old daughter who's religiously taking her ADHD meds, who acknowledges her ADHD, which is not always what happens with 16 year olds. This aha was that this kid thought that she could just take the pill and her ADHD would be better. Yeah. And, and that's and her not ADHD what the purpose is, of the meds are. Right. Her ADHD, she is better because she's more able to focus when she's on the meds, but she still is a kid with executive function challenges and it doesn't change when she's on the meds. That part, what it, you know, it's even when you're taking the meds, your backpack is still a mess. Right. Well, because the whole point of the behavior therapy training as part of treatment is that it's about kind of rounding the corners so that you can teach them the skills right. so that you can help them learn, you know, reducing some of the symptoms so that they can learn to put systems in place for themselves or to, to be gentle with themselves and learn to manage themselves. So, you know, I was doing this presentation earlier in 2022 at App and one of the things I talked about is that if you're doing medication protocol treatment, this was talking to providers without behavior management, it's an incomplete treatment because you cannot deal with, these are issues that aren't going to go away. You don't age out of executive function challenges. You can, they can improve, but they're not something that we're likely to fix. There's something we're going to, we have to learn to help our kids learn to manage. Right. And that's and it. Lifelong. We have to learn how to help our kids learn to manage the way the brain is wired. Because yeah. the brain's well, not broken. It's pretty amazing, but it doesn't always adhere to the way the world works. And this is the challenge that most of us have, particularly like if we've got our own neurodiversity, the way we do it and the thing that we've done that works for us may not be the thing that works for them. And so it's not just about 
telling them what to do or giving them the tools to do it. It's really about helping them understand their brain because we're, we're talking about life skills. It's not about getting the homework done or cleaning the room. It's really about understanding here are the things my brain are, is great at. Here are the things that are hard for my brain. How do I accommodate it? How do I optimize it? How do I just like live and thrive with the brain that I have instead of trying to fit a round peg in a square hole or wait, right. is it a square peg in a round hole? I don't know Either which way. way it is. Either way you do it, it's not like that it works. It doesn't well. work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So where are we in this? You were talking about what recommended treatment is. I want you to Here's talk a little bit about the parent's role and why that's so important in this process. Cause I don't think okay. I really said that. So I came to this aha when I was doing this presentation for AppSart about like, we know that parents are part of recommended treatment, but why? Like, why? And what I realized is when we look at a kid's success, one of the things we know is a primary thing to do is to create an accommodated environment in the school, right? We want to make sure they have the proper accommodations at school or they're in the right school for them or matched with the right teacher for them. We want to set them up for success in the school environment. Well, the same is true at home. Mm. If we can teach parents how to understand what's going on with their kids, we can help them set up an appropriate environment, an environment that sets their kids up for success at the what's known as the point of performance, performance. where the challenges are taking place. So one key reason is because we as parents want to set them up to help them learn how to be successful in managing themselves. Go. What were you saying? We need something cute to call like a 504 and an IEP at home. At home? Right? We could have like, we, like we could coin that. We could come up with a new terminology for it. But these kids need a 504 or an IEP at, at home. home, just as it's much it. as they do at school, right? I love that. Well, and that's in part because we as parents are closest to the situation, right? We know them the best. We, The thing is, you know what's going to cause the upsets. You know what the problems are going to be tomorrow and the next day and the next day, right? It's not a surprise what the challenges are. And so if we can begin to understand that, we can learn to navigate it and help our kids learn to manage it. And one of the comments I got from one of my clients when I was putting this presentation together She said what she's gotten most from working with us was that it helped her pull all the pieces together so that she could help her daughter understand herself Mm. so that she could begin to learn to manage herself. Because that was the piece that, you know, when we as a parent are going, why are you doing this? Well, if we don't know, how do we expect the kids to learn? Because they don't know. Yeah. Well, how many parents say it's like, I, why can't you just like, right. if you don't understand why they can't just, there's a great opportunity we have to, focus to learn <laughs> about why it's hard for them. Right. It's just sort of, it, it is hard for them by def, it by definition, it's hard for them. So understanding why is important. So point of accommodations at the point of performance, what else? Well, so help putting all the pieces together, create an environment of support, a, a few other things. It helps parents learn to cope and stay calm when things are melting down. And when we can stay calm, we create an environment of calm, and that's going to set everybody up for a better outcome. So it, you know, some of it is about helping us learn to manage our own emotional reactivity, which, you know, this is hard. Yeah. It helps us to learn to take care of ourselves and manage ourselves. Like one of the things I, again, with this presentation that I noticed is that a lot of us as parents are in what I would call kind of a psychic pain. We are watching our kids struggle and it's hard to watch our kids hurt and it's breaking our hearts and we don't know how to help them. 
And so there's a part of getting support that's about helping us learn how to be with them to help them deal with the skinned knee, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it is in whatever in, the in skin the, knee is. Yeah. The skin knee is in, in the mental health realm that's a little more complicated, right? But we have to bear witness to this with them and support them through it. And so to do that, we need support to be able to be that presence for them. Well, and the complicating factor of it is the genetics in this, right? It's just sort of how yeah. many of us are have dealing this, with it ourselves. Have similar neurodiversity to our kids or are just so stressed and overwhelmed by trying to help these kids navigate and manage that it creates the neurodiversity. I mean, overwhelmed. Yeah. I always said that overwhelmed single divorced mom look a menopausal mom looked a lot like ADHD. I mean, it was it's sure. kind of the same, right? So it's it's hard point. stuff. And we as parents need help. And but wait, parents aren't looking for help. I mean, it's like that when you say that, why wouldn't this is hard stuff, but People aren't going, hey, I need help with this. There's a lot of stigma. Because well, we shame feel and everything guilt else. and shame about it. But but before we go there, let me, because yeah. of the couple other thoughts that I have, like, so why parents? Parents, because the goal here is to empower kids to take ownership and to become more independent. And we as parents are the ones that are in a position to help them incrementally take on more independence, right? Yeah. So So helping, learning how to do that is really, really powerful. And there's this other piece that we don't really talk about much, but I think it's super important. We are our kids' medical advocate. We are the the reporter to the physicians and to the providers in their lives. And so when we understand what's really going on with our kids and where the glitches are and where the challenges are and where we've tried this and this and this and it didn't work, we can provide information to their providers that gives them a whole lot more information to work from than if we're operating in a silo and we think we're alone and we're the only parent in the world who's ever dealt with this. Well, and what's popping in as you're saying that is that article we read about inaccuracy in teen reporting about whether their ADHD meds work or not. This is amazing to me, like how little these kids get, whether the ADHD meds work. You ask the teacher, you ask the parents, they're like, oh yeah, you can see the difference when they're on their meds and when they're off. The kids are like, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) I don't think it works or I I don't know if it works or not, you know, but so we have the objectivity to see and observe and to share in a very different way because our kids stigma and shame and stories and everything else kind of get in the way of their ability to really report what's going on for them at the performance level. I mean, it's hard stuff to report on. It is. And, And that's where, so, so now we can go into, and I think we have a lot of shame around it. We have a lot of stigma around it. We're embarrassed. We don't want this to be the problem. We're looking at the kid down the street and we want our kid to be just like that or the sister-in-law or the whatever, you know, or the niece or nephew. And so there's this, I don't want this to be a problem prevents us from saying this is hard and I need help to deal with it because I feel like as a parent, I should know how to deal with it because parenting is natural and normal, right? Everybody else can do it. Well, everybody else can do it. And I would say one of the themes we hear in our community all the time is that people who are in, people who are in this challenge get it. People who are not in this challenge have no idea. And so, and remember, so we're like what 20% of the population, right? So in 80, 80% of the time when you talk about this to another adult who's a parent, they're gonna be like, oh, just be more strict, or oh, you're making things up, or oh, it's not that bad. It's the kid just needs some discipline. Yeah, right. right. It's the so- kid's fault, it's the parents' fault. 
I have to tell you, Diane, I oftentimes when after we wrote, I wrote the book, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, I was doing a lot of interviews and people kept saying, can you define complex kids? And what I tended to say was, well, if you have a complex kid, you know exactly what I mean, and you don't need me to define it. <laughs> but right. if you don't, it's a kid who struggled with life learning or both. Yeah. Right. But for those people who aren't in this world all the time, and, and I think for a lot of us as parents who are in this world, but we think we're alone. One of the beautiful things about like group coaching and sanity school is that for the first time, people feel like, oh my gosh, it's you're 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 telling me what's happening in my house. How do you know how were you, yeah. you weren't here? You weren't here, but you know it. Yeah. Right. And that knowing that you're not alone and and like part of what parent involvement does is it normalizes behaviors that are not typical in neurotypical kids. Which gives us permission to say, wow, I should do something about this, or I can't. Or I should do something something differently. Yeah. Right. It's like, I have to handle this differently because this is different from what happens in in neurotypical homes. So parents are not getting sent to what's recommended treatment. Even if they are, there's this resistance to get help because there's shame involved. There's this sense that I should be able to do it myself. There's, oh, it's my kid with the problem. Like my kid's the one with the diagnosis. Why do I need help if it's my kid with a diagnosis? Well, hopefully we've talked about that. Or if I've got a penny to spend or a moment to spend, I'm going to spend it on my kid. There's this notion that I should spend it all on my kid. And so not only are we giving ourselves away and exhausting ourselves, but we're not recognizing that that by paying attention to us, that really is giving it to our kids because we're the ones setting the environment. Well, and here's what I would say. And I've been talking to a lot of parents lately. I need a tutor for my kid. I need an executive function Mm -hmm. coach for my kid. I need this special school for my kid. I'm not saying that your kids don't sometimes need that. And like 80% of the time, these kids are not asking for help. These kids are not saying, I'm struggling, please help me. And so <laughs> what they really need is someone to, to coach them and maneuver them into a place where they're ready to get help, which is really what the parent can do in a very different way than anybody else can. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the other thing that I think parents resist help is because they're looking for a magic bullet. And that's one of the yeah. things our research showed. They just want something to fix it. There's not a, we don't understand the nuance of how complicated it is and, and how much is involved with creating change. Well, I was talking to a mom yesterday who was saying, you know, her husband's just thrown his head, hands up. He's just done. He doesn't want to try anymore. He just wants somebody else to fix it. And that happens. And that's, that's, you know, the conversation I was having with her was it only takes one parent to turn the chip, right? Like, even if he's given up, that doesn't mean you have to give up. You can still create the change you want. Well, and I know that a lot of parents get stuck in information overload. And I think back at myself, you know, 15 years ago, and I was that mom on the internet looking for that one article that no one else had found, (laughs) but that was going to fix the whole thing, right? It's just sort of, it has to be out there. There has to be some solution. There has to be something I'm missing, so I'm going to listen to nowadays. I'm going to listen to one more part podcast. I'm going to listen to one more article. Yes, we say on our to, podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, listen to the podcast, and it's not enough. Get some help, right? That that's really the punchline here is get some help for yourself. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is that parents, the parents that I taught to, wait way too long, right? It's just yes. the parents that I've been talking about talking to mostly in the last year who are really really struggling. It's like their house is on fire, right? It's this sort of that they're in such crisis. Their kids 
have failed 17 classes or they they completely checked out of school or the kid is getting physical and violent with their emotional intensity. I mean, all of these things that are really, really difficult situations that I kind of go, wow, it's super duper hard. And I want parents to get help when it's a little Not hard. so hard. Well, why should we wait till they're desperate to offer them help? Like this was another thing I said in that, in that abstract conversation. Like, why is it every conversation I have with a new parent, and you probably do too, I hear the word desperate. Yeah. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. Nothing works. Like all of those, that language. And this is parents of kids who are eight or 18 or 28, right? Doesn't matter what age. By the time parents come to us, they've already feel spent and exhausted a lot of the time. Well, and I think that that's true when we go back to the question about why providers are not talking about behavior training for parents. The story I think a lot of providers tell them is, well, medication will get them pretty far and it's easy. It's good enough. So yeah. it's good enough, right? It's just sort of, I had a mom. Well, and they that, don't want to embarrass the parents. I've, I've had providers say to me, I don't want to offend the parent by offering parent training. Truly. Yeah. Like really. But, and I had one provider who said to me, well, you know, when they're really, really complicated, that's when I send them to you. It's like, why are you waiting until the, till they're yeah. desperate and at the wit's end and relationships are fractured? But it, it just feels counterintuitive somehow yeah. to people. You were going to say well, something. No, I was going to say something about the, about parents in crisis. I had this mom the other day whose kid was really getting, having some physical reactions. I mean, there was, the word she used was violence. The kid was having meltdowns that were so bad that he was hitting siblings and everything else yeah. and, and was doing some work and was really getting some enormous progress on handling the meltdowns. And she was like, okay. I'm all right now. You know, it's like this sort of, she was, she was at a, a place of desperation. She gets down to a place where she can have a, a breath and go, okay, I've got a breath. My kid's not punching his sister anymore. And I'm like, that well, be, that's not, it's, yeah. Is yeah. That, there, there's so much. Okay. So what do we want to work on next? It's like, oh, I'm fine. Right. It's this sort of, well, are you really, are fine? you fine? <laughs> Is there something else we could work on here? Like maybe hanging up the towel or brushing the teeth or, you know, helping well, out around the house or getting his homework turned in or, you know, any of those other things. Well, what you're speaking to is the difference between being reactive and proactive. Mm. And I think, you know, if you go back to, to our beginnings, our humble beginnings with impact ADHD, our first tagline was enjoy the ride. And we yeah. used to say in tandem, we can help you enjoy, enjoy the ride. The ride. Very cute. And we did some research, some focus, focus groups, and we changed the tagline to helping parents help kids because so many parents thought that enjoying the ride was out was, of reach. It was out it was of not reach. Even it was possible. Just, oh, it's not. No, can't do that. We just have to muddle through to our kids get to be 21 or 22 and they're off at college and there's somebody else's problem. And then I then I can, you know, drink margaritas on the beach. I mean, that's- yeah, and it just doesn't kind of work that way. You no. know, as parents of young adults, I am here to tell you. It doesn't work that <laughs> way. Although I did way. go drink margaritas on the beach with my, with my 22 year old the other day. So <laughs> which is a good thing to do. <laughs> it was a good thing to do. So the point of that to sort of wrap that, cause we really need to wrap this conversation. What was the point of that to wrap that? <laughs> no, the point of this is don't wait till you're in crisis. Right. Get some help. help. Right? Start early. Sort of, so go back and the whole story is, Parents don't even know what recommended treatment is. Sometimes providers that are referring don't know either recommended recommended treatment is, 
We talked about why it's important because you are best equipped as a parent to help these kids to report better about what's going on, to change their to behavior. set them up the, for success. Yeah. yeah, to change their behavior at the point of performance, to help them to become increasingly more independent and successful as they get older. And why we resist is logical. We, we get it. <laughs> But we get it. I mean, this is, there's so much in this. There's shame. We're human. Shame. Yeah. We, we're human. We get it. And we want y'all to get over it. We want right. you to get we help. To get what you need. So Diane, do you remember the power of the parent proclamation we did in yes. the early years? We're going to take that and put that in the show notes somehow. Okay. I think that's a good idea. Because we, when we very first started that, that this was our message was kids need help to handle chronic conditions. Parents need help to understand how to help their kids manage these chronic conditions bottom line. And that's what we're saying is that your kids do need help and they need not just help from other professionals and other experts. They need help from you to create an environment that supports them in learning to understand themselves. And that's where we can help you or others. I mean, there are plenty others. of we other fabulous people who do this as well. We're not saying you have to use us, we're, but we are saying if you can't get help here, get help somewhere. <laughs> well, and, and the point, let's go back to the, the bottom line, the change you want to see starts with you. with you. So that may be our new tagline. <laughs> We're not rebranding. I promise. No. Thanks. Thanks All everybody right, everybody. for being here. Thanks, Elaine. Always good. Always okay. amazing. And, and to those of you tuning in, thanks for what you're doing for yourself and for your kids. Remember the change you want for your kids starts with you. <laughs> At the end of the day, you make all the difference. Thanks everybody. Care, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.